Episode 5 of the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. I'm only human, a flesh and blood I'm made. Human, born to make mistakes. Hey there, welcome back to the studio. Uh, we're here with Cesaro Pietchak good friend of mine uh, who's going to talk to us today about humanizing data in your SaaS company. Um, he's been an advisor, a consultant, an employee at a lot of early stage startups uh, on the, the SaaS and, and B2B side, and he's talking to us today about a pretty interesting topic that I think goes oftentimes unnoticed by early stage businesses. So welcome, Cesare. Great to be here, Mike. Uh, so tell us maybe to start, just give us a little idea of kind of your background, who you've been working with, um, you know, what it is exactly that you do and, and, and kind of where you've been as a start. Uh, definitely. So I think my background's uh, in many ways interesting because I started off in the uh, advertising agency world uh, doing consumer insights and strategy. Um, and so despite having spent, I guess, a lot of my time uh, in spreadsheets and data in business school, uh, the way that I started my career is, is by really exploring this creative and uh, human side, I guess, of the business. So thinking about people's behaviors, their motivations, their values, things of that nature, uh, and using this information to influence um, business results. So I spent a few years there, worked for big companies like Campbell Soup, uh, LG Electronics, uh, NHL. And then from there, I moved into uh, the startup world. Uh, where I had a company in the travel space, um, ran that for about four years. We sold it to TripAdvisor. Uh, and then I spent a little bit of time uh, with QLabs, um, which was a technology incubator. I ran marketing there, um, B2B mobile company called AppBoy. Uh, and then most recently, I've been advising uh, a range of companies in, in both the consumer and B2B space. So talk to us a little bit about what you mean. I think when people hear the term humanizing data they their sort of eyes glaze over and and either they don't understand it or they don't think it's relevant to their business so maybe just give us a high level about what you mean when you say that and and sort of how how companies should perceive this or think about this from the earliest stages of, of their life definitely i mean i think um, a lot of companies uh, understand and appreciate the value of data i think there's been a, a really big movement in the last couple of years uh, about collecting information about um, what's happening on a site, what's happening on an app, and what people are doing. Uh, and there's been a, a wide array of tools um, to help you do that. And I think as the, as the data world has become more complex, I think a lot of people have just gotten lost in the numbers. Uh, they look at information in a very uh, simple way. They don't actually step back and think uh, about the motivating factors behind why something might be occurring. And so when I think about this notion of humanizing data, it's really about understanding the people uh, behind the data, about understanding why they do certain things, um, you know, who they are, what they actually care about, uh, and what are the hypotheses behind the results. Because I think that understanding that side of the equation will really give you good ideas as to how to improve the business and how to make it better. And you're not, you, you wouldn't suggest not looking at the data but more a, a sort of complement to your existing processes? Or is it, hey, most startups you interact with are just 
way too in the weeds with the data and need to kind of pull it back and, and think broadly about human psyche and, and sort of humans interacting with your product or service. Yeah, I think it's, you know, simple things from everything from just observing people to taking the time to do research to just defining uh, their target audience better. Uh, I don't think you have to sell uh, SaaS companies on data or startups or, or anyone in the general technology space. Um, and I think most people, I, I think, in that space come with more quantitative focused skills, but I think they, they just do forget that there are people behind their business and that people actually drive any sort of business. And the lack of understanding about people um, is, is what's going to lead to, to problems or, or challenges that they can't solve by just looking um, at statistics or analytics or spreadsheets. And how did you, I guess maybe before we dive into some specific examples, or how did you, you've, you've obviously coined this term and given a lot of uh, thought to it and there's a lot of information available online that, that Cesare has talked about, but sort of how, how did you kind of come upon this or what, what gave you the, the impetus to either call it this or, or mm-hmm. take this sort of strategy? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it, as, I, as I made the move into the startup world, I just started seeing some of those big differences. I think the, the advantage that I've had and the benefit that I've had is that I've been exposed to this very creative, human-centric process um, that you see in, in creative agencies. They're working with ideas. They're working with very conceptual terms. Um, and, and that sort of, again, understanding... Uh, when I come into the startup world, I see that it's lacking. Um, you know, one great example is the the prevalence of the word users. Um, right. There was a great blog post by Jack Dorsey, I think, about a year ago that, um, in his interaction with a board member, I think Howard Schultz from Starbucks, um, he had asked him, you know, why why do you guys always call your customers users? They're not users. They're not these humanless, you know, drones. They're actually real people. So call them that. Right. And I think that really starts to change the relationship that you have uh, with your customer. And your customer could be a guest, it could be a fan, um, it could be a client. Whatever that is, uh, I think just even elevating that, um, that sort of language um, really starts to inform how you go about reaching them, how you go about marketing to them, etc. But so not only, so sort of humanized data from a standpoint of carry out specific tasks or solve specific problems, but also... As an organization, the way you think about you know who you talk to, what you say, can also be an element of the humanizing data, right? I mean, Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I think at the um, at the baseline, it's really asking yourself why, why, why are certain things happening? Um, why is is certain data the way that it is? Why are you observing uh, these sort of trends? Why are sales falling? Why aren't people converting uh, on a specific page? Um, what will help you actually resolve that, not just kind of analyze it and, and recognize it's there, is, is, is asking yourself, you know, what could be the reasons for it and how does that relate to my target audience? And then taking those hypotheses uh, and then running a series of tests uh, to see what would work. You know, looking at data from a human perspective won't give you all the answers, but it will give you uh, a very uh, strong set of hypotheses. Got it. So maybe if we can sort of dive into some specific ways that you've helped companies think about this and obviously for the listeners it'll give more credence to the idea but then also practical applications um maybe maybe start out talk to us about um you know 
you've advised obviously a bunch of companies on the IT infrastructure side. I know you can't name specific names, but maybe tell us about uh, a specific problem you saw or, or had with, with one of those businesses and how the sort of humanization of data really solved that. Yeah, definitely. So um, one infrastructure company that I've been advising had um, or has a, a very robust uh, referral program. So uh, they've built a product that, that people love. Um, they're willing to share it. Uh, and they have been sharing it at a, at a fairly high rate. Um, and as we were looking at... When you, when, just to clarify, so when you say referral program, basically incentivizing a referrer to refer someone and then get exactly. paid or, or yeah, get so something some, for that. So somebody who's had a great experience um, with that product to share it with their friends, with their professional contacts, etc. Got it. In this case, developers, basically, right? Exactly. And okay. so there was a great referral program already in place. Um, and so people were already sharing it. People were really happy with the product. Um, but we really saw an opportunity to grow that, uh, uh, I guess, aspect of the business. And so what we looked at is, and what we found is looking into, again, looking very specifically at the data that uh, referrals were happening quickly. They were happening at a uh, fairly high rate. So people were referring multiple uh, friends. Uh, but not a lot of people were actually doing the referrals. And so again, what one thing that we could have done is, is maybe tested some of the uh, copy on the emails or the timing around when they were sent. Um, but really the, the bigger opportunity as we kind of dug a little bit deeper behind why, why this was happening is that not enough people actually knew that the program existed. And so again, you know... And how did you come to, you know, what, what was the... <laughs> process to find that out? I think a lot of it was around just conversations and, and, and running surveys and getting in touch with the audience to uh, really understand um, you know, why, why this wasn't happening more often. Right. Uh, and it was, you know, it was a simple insight, but it wasn't obvious right away because, again, the numbers, the numbers were already on a, on a high level. And so you wouldn't necessarily think that there's a big opportunity to uh, improve on this. Right. If you looked at the data, it would be... Wow, we have this yeah, amazing if you look referral at, program. Exactly. You'd, you'd say like, all right, well, industry benchmarks are X. Um, we're doing much better th than that. So let's focus on perhaps some other channel. And so we really began to understand that awareness was an issue. People were simply not finding out uh, about the program enough. And so we implemented a, um, a series of, of uh, tactics that would actually make people more aware. And we looked at... Uh, the onboarding process, how they were actually uh, being exposed to the company again when when they started to make those referrals, and uh, we not only f found I think an optimal point to uh, introduce this referral program to them, but we also found multiple places that if they didn't see um, or they didn't become aware at one point, they they most likely would find out in another area. Got it. And so has that to maybe carry it. To its conclusion, you've you've seen obviously a you know an increase significantly in the program, or yeah, it was already on a good. Yeah, and it was already great, and and yet we were able to increase it in this case over fifty percent. Wow! So it was it was it was massive, and and again, it, it was one of those I think hidden gems that, um, contrary to I think certain marketing tactics, didn't require a massive amount of implementation work. Uh, and yet the difference it made was, was amazing because it unleashed all this goodwill that already existed that simply didn't have um, a way to, I guess, come to life because people weren't aware. 
But so the big lesson from a humanization of data standpoint is, you know, even even if you have this great channel talking to the users and really understanding uh, that that particular referral program was um, super helpful in understanding the touch points and how it needed to be more effective and then, um, you know, executing on that allowed the program to grow really significantly. Exactly. So again, looking at things from, from the person's perspective, how are they coming uh, into the company? How are they using the product? When are they finding out about this program and, and how they're sharing it with others and trying to really look at the gaps uh, in that sort of behavior versus just saying, well, let's start you know, testing a couple different things and, and maybe see if we can uh, uh, increase the metrics incrementally. And then how did you maybe, to close this example out, do you continuously go back and try and make this referral program better or do you say to yourself okay you know kind of mission accomplished for the time being let's move on to other things or how to, how to, how, to, how would a would you advise a startup now if they if they took that advice and executed on that program and maybe it increased their own referral program would did you would you say sort of just move on or keep yeah definitely I think we have some uh, some big hypotheses moving forward um, some of them around the um, the ease of sharing. Uh, information to their friends, I think, is a, is is another big theme that we're exploring. And and again, um, when so you, you think you, about the process, right? Of of what does somebody actually have to do to inform their friends um, about a program? Then you start to look at things like, well, um, how are they sharing it? Is it via email? Is it via social, etc.? Um, if it's any one of those channels, how do they actually find the person's contact information? Um, you know, another piece is like, what are they actually saying? So again, kind of looking at it from that perspective and seeing what the resources that are available today, you start to see that you know maybe there are opportunities to enhance this process in, in this way. Sure. And so we think that there is an opportunity to improve that part of the equation, so we're moving ahead with that. We also have um, uh, a shorter, or I guess an additional list of hypotheses as well that we want to test. And, and we think you know that at some point, yes, then you know, this channel will plateau and, and we'll probably optimize as much as we can. But um, going after those bigger wins uh, first uh, makes a lot more sense than, than trying to do uh, small things. That's great. So maybe move on to another example more. I, I know you've done a lot of work as well with sort of the um, commerce side of the house and, and the subscription commerce companies, a little tangential to the, the traditional B2B SaaS, but still a component of their model um, is in and around this space. Maybe maybe sort of give us um, an example of one of the companies you work with there and how you've obviously seen that progress from a you know humanization of data standpoint working with them. Definitely. So I think um, uh, a big theme in the B2B space is um, uh, marketing automation, email marketing, content marketing, etc. Uh, and so um, this commerce company in particular has a, a fairly robust program in place. And I think as, um, as you see with, I think, a lot of companies that are growing, uh, pieces or components of the program um, really kind of get added on as needed as the company grows. Uh, and the system, you know, over time starts to, I think, lack a little bit of the cohesiveness um, that, that it should have when you, again, when you step back and you think about, the customer life cycle and the different steps and the different interactions that customers are taking um, uh, to kind of interact with the product. And so uh, one of the things that we've been doing is, is actually mapping out 
for that entire process. Um, because again, like whatever tools that you're using, you see these set of emails and, and triggers and, and logic behind when and why they're sending, but none of them actually give you a great way to, to visualize what that is. And right. so to supplement, I think that, that, that process and again, the, the data that you see around you know, how often people open emails and why, there, there's I think a bigger opportunity, which is let's step back, let's actually see um, visually how, how these emails look when they're being sent out. Let's map out the process and let's start to think what those opportunities are to improve the business by just looking at things like how many emails are people getting um, each week, um, especially if it's a recurring uh, subscription business. Um, when are they getting uh, uh, specific emails? When um, is there a strong call to action uh, around a certain behavior that the company wants to influence? So. I think there are a lot of interesting insights that just come from that process that um, aren't as, as transactional as, all right, well, we need to send this email because now we introduced this new feature and so it's important to, to have this notification. And how, so the company obviously had a marketer and some component of marketing automation. Did you really sort of, you know, in the beginning say, look, let's step back and see even if, if this is you know, working or not working, or uh, would you recommend having, you know, let's say you're just getting up and running with marketing automation, would you recommend essentially doing, you know, some stuff early on, getting some data, and then stepping back and sort of taking that humanizing approach to it? Or Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, um, you have to take it very practically. Right, you have when to. Have... You're, when you're starting off and, and you don't have a program in place, doing something already that uh, starts to build uh, or, or, or begin building a relationship with your audience is very important. Uh, and so I think you take those, those steps first, but at some point you start to realize as, as you're sending more and more emails, as the product becomes more complicated, um, it's not just um, you know, those individual emails that you're sending, it's, it's the entire um, collection of emails. And those collections of emails really start to make for a bigger experience. And if you can really deconstruct that experience and think about, again, the steps that people are taking, you start to notice uh, opportunities, not only to, to make their experience better, but also to drive business results. So if there are specific objectives that um, you want to achieve, for example, get to the first X number of orders, then you really have to think about how, um, how you, you approach that um, when you're sending specific emails. Um, do you add logic around you know, sending an email only if somebody has opened up the previous email or right. interacted with it in some way. Um, but you really have to kind of think about that holistically. And, and again, you combine that with, with the data that you already have. So data, again, is not something that you're replacing um, at all. It's complimentary. You're complementing it, right? right? You're enhancing the experience and you're coming in with, with better ideas of what to do. So you have the data, you map the entire experience on the email side, what were some of the insights or things that you guys, you know, changed just to sort of conclude that example, let's say? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, there's simple things like knowing that, um, for example, in the first week, um, people were getting a lot of emails. Uh, the, the opportunity to send them another one will probably not work because if, if you just, again, think about it from the uh, perspective of, of getting flooded uh, with emails in your inbox, uh, you, you probably won't have a great perception of the company. Right. Um, 
another one is again uh, in, in this case it was making an introduction to um, the referral program after um, we know that that customers are really happy with the service and again you can kind of look at um, some of the information and you can tell that after X number of orders that person is is going to be a, a loyal customer and so that becomes a great trigger point uh, to say alright well now that we know that you're happy why don't you invite your friends um, and then again there are there are, I think certain opportunities around uh, re-engagement just kind of mapping out and seeing that uh, the types of uh, information that that people were getting um, at different points wasn't actually uh, motivating them to convert uh, and so being a little bit more prescriptive around when that happens and why uh, you know became a, a great opportunity to uh, convert people that otherwise wouldn't have makes sense um, maybe move you know on the on the third example I know you've worked a fair amount on the education side and there are a bunch of companies that um, are in sort of B2B education space. Give us kind of some thoughts on one of the companies you worked with there, how you humanize the data, and then sort of what were some of the results? Definitely. So I think um, one interesting, uh, I guess, or, or one common approach that I've seen um, for, for a lot of B2B companies is, is immediately jumping to uh, marketing channels. Are we going to do email? Are we going to go to events? Um, are we going to do social media, um, etc.? So it's a very channel-first approach, um, and I think that's fine. Um, you do have to analyze um, and, and prioritize the, the channels that are available to you. But um, what I did with this specific company um, is really force them again to think about their audience and think about uh, the moments and places that. Um, their audience is is most open to uh, purchasing a product, and so I think you know this is a, a, a classic I think exercise uh, from from the the creative agency world. And what it really does is it forces you to think uh, about all the things that, uh, for example, somebody uh, um, is dealing with uh, throughout the day. What types of different tools and products they're analyzing, how busy busy they are, etc. And then thinking about how and why they would want to make a purchase. What is actually the impetus um, for that? Are there, for example, particular moments during uh, the business calendar that um, they're more open to hearing your message or not? Right. For example, end of the quarter when somebody has to spend a budget or right. uh, annual planning at the beginning, beginning of the year. Um, or maybe there's, you know, if you're dealing with security, for example, there's a big security breach. Um, and all of a sudden that becomes top of mind and if the product is offering some sort of security uh, then that becomes a great opportunity for you to get in front of them. Sure. So, you know, as we kind of started looking at things from, from that perspective, what um, really started to come together, one is, is an actual marketing calendar um, around specific uh, opportunities throughout the year um, that this company could take advantage of, but also very um, unique trigger points. Um, again, where they, they would be open to hearing uh, uh, the message uh, about the service. And so what that did is to complement the standard approach of just looking at, at marketing channels and gave them very specific ideas um, that, you know, where the hypothesis is, uh, was that these people would, would convert higher because if you just analyze the, the situation and the context of their buying decision, it made a whole, whole lot of sense compared to every other uh, moment. Sure. No, that's very effective, and I think um, a lot of times we recommend that companies take a less, um, you know, channel-driven approach to things, and and way more.
more high level um, or more human centric. Yeah. Uh, there's there's another also great example when you look at uh, the sales process for B2B companies. You usually map it out in different steps. You put it into Salesforce, uh, et cetera. You usually have some sort of a percentage conversion rate right. at each moment. And I think you know all those things are great, but when you think about how to optimize that funnel, what you're really thinking about is the person's mindset. So if you're going into the first meeting and they're super busy because many vendors are pitching them, um, in, an insight like that might lead you to um, have a much you know shorter and concise presentation that, that is very high level that doesn't go into some of the details. Whereas at the next meeting where you have the CTO evaluating specific technology, then maybe you have to get more technical. Right. And you start to develop, I think, these trends over time. But what you're really appealing to is, is not you know, a set of features that you're trying to sell, but really the, the people in the room, the things that they care about, and, and what would motivate them uh, individually to, to buy the product. Right. And as right. we know, you know in, in organizations that have multiple decision makers, uh, a lot of them are motivated by different factors. And so you have to be able to convey one cohesive message, but also appeal to each of their individual needs. Yep. Um, maybe just to close, come back to the infrastructure companies that you've been working with. I know you had a really good example uh, about how humanizing data helped one business in particular think about landing page conversion. So maybe just to close out the discussion, talk to us a little bit about that and, and sort of what you learned and, and how humanizing the data really helped. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I think with the landing pages, um, there, there's again a culture of testing among technology companies, um, which I think is great, but I think a lot of times it, it becomes very indiscriminate. You know, let's test a, a green button versus a red button. Let's test, you know, uh, the presence of an image versus not. Let's make the content longer, etc. Again, I think all those things are fine when you've gotten to a point where, you know, a particular channel or landing page works. Um, but one of the insights that um, we've been uncovering in this example is that uh, there was um, the conversion rate for a particular landing page um, wasn't as good as, as we, th we thought it could be. Uh, and so instead of going into the weeds and, and trying these, these smaller things, we realized that, hey, if, if we really want to make a big impact um, on the conversion rate of this audience, um, what we really need to do is introduce some bigger changes. And to get ideas for those bigger changes, we stepped back and we said, well, well, why are people coming to this page in the first place? What mindset are they in? And what are the things that they're looking for? And we were actually able to deconstruct uh, a list of about five or six factors that were important to that audience. And when we looked at the content of the landing page, we realized that we weren't actually speaking to the things that they cared about most. Maybe that information already existed, but it was much lower um, in the page. And so most likely they weren't getting to that. And so what was happening is they were getting to a place where they weren't connecting with the message uh, and they were leaving. Uh, and so we started to um, introduce these larger hypotheses and what that led was to a much bigger transformation of what that landing page uh, could be. And we realized that tweaking the message, we could actually make a very big impact uh, on the top of the funnel, which, which as we all know, uh, influences everything else that, that is below it. So sure. this was a huge opportunity and, and I don't think we, we could have gotten to this place if we just listen to the standard conventions about, you know, buttons and uh, copy length, et cetera, that, that people typically get into when they start testing. 
And so you made that change, and it obviously had a absolutely higher conversion and did a lot. Absolutely. Got it. Cool. Well, listen, I think those are four great examples. I don't know if you had anything to close. We're almost out of time. Um, but yeah, any, any closing thoughts for the listeners and sort of to, to synthesize or, or aggregate the, the discussion and information I'm sure would be helpful. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, uh, data is important. I think all companies should follow it, but the area where they can really uh, start to differentiate themselves from competition is, uh, is around understanding people. So I would encourage uh, uh, everyone to spend as much time with their customers as possible. Sometimes it could be talking, other times it could simply be observing. Uh, almost remove yourself from the situation and uh, let people kind of live in their environment. Um, read about them a little bit more. Try to understand the world from their perspective. Um, these are not you know, very difficult things to do, but, but most people don't even think about them. Um, the more I think you can do that, the more that you can really enhance your understanding of, of why certain behaviors are, are happening. And then you're going to get very great ideas as to what you can do to, to influence them. Cool. Thanks so much, Azari. We appreciate you coming by and uh, talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Mike.